Evolutionary.org presents Evolutionary Hardcore Podcast with your co-hosts, Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the most hardcore and underground info in the industry. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Evolutionary.org hard core podcast coming your way this is number 111 this time we're going to talk about bruce lee we're going to talk about his history his diet his training how he died all this stuff what's going on today with martial arts versus back then and we're going to talk about everything in between of that steve smee here and joining me is the mobster how's it going man all good man the man the myth the legend let's dig at it all right, guys. So Bruce Lee, who was Bruce Lee? Some of you younger guys may not know who this guy was, but trust me, you're going to want to listen to this podcast and learn about him. And you're even going to, after these listen to this, probably go back and watch some of his movies because um, he was before my time. He was before uh, Mobster's time, I think. I don't know how old you, uh, if you're that old, Mobster. Hey, Mobster is- I was nine when he died, so around okay. my time. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he was dead uh, before I came around, but Look, I went, you know, this guy, um, if you learn about this guy, he will give you a completely different perspective on martial arts and compared how, how it is today. So his real name is Lee Woon Fawn. I hope I'm not pronouncing that incorrectly. I apologize if I am. But he, he was a legendary martial artist, one of the best of all time. He was a film director, he was an actor, and he was a philosopher. And that ties into martial arts. We're going to talk about that. He is one of the guys who's been credited with con- creating Kung Fu style called Ji Kun Do, Do. And I apologize if I'm butchering that as well. Um, he's easily considered the most iconic and par- popular martial artist ever. So popular that a movie came out. It was a Quentin Tarantino movie that came out uh, a year or two ago called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And I saw that in the theater. Um, it's a great film. It was uh, nominated for Best Picture. But the, uh, the car- but Bruce Lee himself was in that movie being portrayed by a current actor, and he got in a fight with the co-star of the movie, who was played by Brad Pitt. And basically, he challenged Brad Pitt to a fight in the movie, and Brad Pitt threw him into a car. And it was kind of a little you know quick five minute scene. You can go on YouTube and find that scene, but it- it's hilarious. Um, and a lot of people got upset over it because they're, oh, that's not how Bruce Lee was. But it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, so a lot of people have fun with that. So if you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and you're a Quentin Tarantino fan, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But yes, um, you probably saw that, and you probably went back and started watching some more Bruce Lee movies um, from back in the day. Um, it's it's really really funny. But the cool thing about Bruce Lee, guys, he he has a very uh, interesting background. He was born in San Francisco, Chinatown, back in 1940. Uh, his family moved back to Hong Kong when he was still a baby. His father was an opera singer, so his father was in the uh, theater arts, and he was also an actor. So when the family family moved back to Hong Kong, the count the country of Japan invaded and ruled his city while Lee was a young child. After the war was over, his father resumed his career and became a very well-known actor. So that kind of gave Bruce kind of a advantage of 
getting into that industry. Now his mother was also gave him an advantage because she was came from the wealth, one of the wealthiest families and she had Eurasian ancestry. So Lee grew up a very wealthy guy, but the problem was after World War II, many refugees, they were, they were fleeing China because China, China got taken over by an authoritarian government and they settled into his neighborhood and that created a lot of gangs. So his parents encouraged Lee to get into martial arts so that he can better defend himself. So I'm going to bring in Mobster, um, but what we know from Lee's childhood, he was routinely getting in street fights. He beat up a gang leader's son. It was so bad that the police told his father, hey, you know, there's a, there's a contract out for your son's life, you know? So that's how bad it was. So it wasn't, it was kind of fighting for his life uh, when he was younger. Now at 16 years old, he was taught Wing Chun by a master teacher. And this guy wanted his students fighting in organized competitions instead of on the street in gang. So he kind of got him into it at another level. But the problem for Lee was because he was mixed ancestry. Remember his mom, had Eurasian ethnicity, they didn't want to teach techniques to non-Asians. So that's something very, very interesting um, that a lot of people don't know with, with martial arts. It's supposed to be only taught by their culture. It's not supposed to be taught to other cultures. Now, I was just going to step in. It's ironic, probably because of the time, uh, and and even today, there's a there's an element of it. It's kind of ironic, uh, as a white man saying this, that the, the Chinese are incredibly racist. Uh, and I mean, for example, if you don't talk Mandarin, if you talk something else, if you are from, I mean, in the way that we have gangs in America, of course, and gangs over here in the UK, you know, if you're from. We, <laughs> There's a joke even where I live in the valleys. If you're from this valley and you're not from that valley. So you've got the same thing comes in with, this, with the martial arts itself, with the guys saying, you know, this is a style that is the best style. And that style, you know, is no good. And you shouldn't learn it. Uh, whether it's language, whether it's color, whether it's the fact that he was mixed race, even talking in his case, because he started to teach a guy low, the, the, the non-Asian. So not only could you not talk to this group of Asians, you wasn't meant... It was the worst thing to talk to, to teach white people your, your the, the secrets and so on and so forth. So it's, it's I suppose there's an argument for those things. Have you know there's a certain mythology, and and and, and a mystique, and this kind of thing about certain sports and whatever else. And the martial arts uh, now doesn't seem to have it as much as it did then. It's one of the few things, and I'll get to it in a little while, with regards to his legend of uh, Bruce Lee himself. But it was always when I was younger and become even begin, beginning to vaguely be interested in, in, in sports and training and whatever else. And anything that I picked up and read at the time, there was a mythology, a mystique to training with martial arts. So the idea you could go to China or Japan or wherever else, train as a samurai, go and see, you know, seventh dan karate guy and whatever else. And they're going to teach you secrets that no one else has ever taught you. So there's all of that. And Bruce was breaking these barriers down. He was kind of breaking the rules. And yet, even as he was doing these things, he was kind of, um, he didn't want it to come across in a certain way when, when he got to the stuff that he was doing in the movies. Yeah, back to you, Steve. Yeah, and it gets worse for him. 
Mm. At 18, he moved to the United States. He, he got into college, and he also opened up his own martial arts school. This is on the West Coast. He opened up two of them. Um, and he networked, and he met a guy named Ed Parker, who was a karate grandmaster at the time. He invited him to appear at a Long Beach International Karate Championships. And Lee Matt, uh, completely dazzled everybody. He was doing two-finger push-ups. He was wide feet. He was doing one-inch punch. Uh, there's videos of him doing, showing how fast he was, his reflexes. Um, something called an unstoppable punch. You can look up that YouTube video. Um, we'll link it for you. Even when he would warn the best martial artists, hey, I'm going to punch you, they still couldn't stop it. They still couldn't block him. So. But the problem was there were many in the American Chinese community on the West Coast, uh, California. They were irritated that, number one, he wasn't 100% Chinese and he was performing martial arts. And two, he was teaching martial arts to nine Chinese. So they threatened him, they harassed him, they told him he needed to shut down his school. And there was an ultimatum that Wong Jok Mon, who was a martial artist, challenged him. He said, look, if I beat you, you have to shut down, shut this down. And if you beat me, you get to do, you get to do it. So, Depending on who you listen to based on the witnesses, Lee Sai says they won the fight very, very quickly within minutes. And his opponent said that the fight lasted 30 minutes and Lee tapped out. So we don't really know exactly the full story, but Lee, at the end of the day, he kept teaching it and he ignored those threats and he kept doing it. So you know, he wasn't a stranger to threats the way he grew up. So I don't think it, it faced him. So he was going to, he was going to go for it. Anything you want to add to that mobster before we get into yeah. his diet? One of the interviews I watched earlier on with his wife, she said that uh, he'd actually claimed at the beginning of that particular fight that he thought the fight was going to be over in 10 seconds and it went on for three minutes. So he was actually surprised how long it did go on for and in fact he changed his training after the fight because he'd conditioned himself to have these explosive incredibly fast fights incredibly fast as you you touched on it just now and, and in fact when we get to the filming stuff he was so fast on camera that they actually had to have him slowed down with the 24 frames per second he was doing you know he was going faster than the frame capture rate and, and you see some of the videos that you've and we will link into those as steve said and you can't believe how quick he is. And again, in the movies, when he still looks unbelievably quick, he's actually slowing it down so it comes out on film. So he got it into his head that this fight was going to be very quick, incredibly explosive, and it didn't last 10 seconds. It lasted three minutes, and he wasn't ready for a three-minute fight. So afterwards, he changed his training to include a lot more conditioning work because if they come up against a guy, and obviously... Uh, uh, Wong Jack Man was incredibly good. If it lasted even the three minutes that Lee wasn't ready for, never mind the 30 minutes that the Wong himself claims, he must have been a good fighter and it must have put Lee on the back foot and say, listen, I need to up my conditioning. I need to be, a, 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 be able to fight for longer. If this happens, if I come up against the guys as good as me, the only way I'm going to win was with more endurance. So he did change his training. Uh, and again, that's just from, from, from his wife's perspective. So I also, as I just said just now, I suspect it's one of those you can't lose 
you're not allowed to lose. So whatever side you're on, whether it's you're on Wong's side or Lee's side, you've got to be saying, I didn't lose. Because actually for the both sides and for the sport as a whole, you either lose a, an enormous amount of face, all of the people that are practicing your sport move over to the other side. And then, of course, us as, as, as YLOs looking in from the outside and anybody else that's interested in martial arts, you go, okay, we still want this mystique. We still want this legend. We still want the guys that have earned their black belts, the second, the third, the fourth down to be seen in a certain particular way. And if you're losing, then everybody loses. So there's an element of that, which just adds to the whole legend and the mythology behind martial arts and specifically Kung Fu. And, and obviously with your, whatever particular version of Kung Fu that these guys were teaching. So they couldn't lose really. So no wonder no one can definitively say or walk away. There's no videos, there's no films, there's no photographs. It's just word of mouth. And everybody needed to be able to say that they came away with their face. Uh, their, their reputation intact. Uh, I, I would throw the coin. I would say that my best guess, this is why it's probably correct. It probably did say three minutes, which was longly expected. He probably did win, in my, my gut feeling, uh, because obviously he would have had a lot more fights afterwards in my, in my mind, and he would have been challenged a lot more. And the fact that he was able to ignore these challenges, uh, serious challenges like this, makes me think that he did win. There was informal stuff. There was one that happened on a set where there was a young Chinese guy that was appearing as an extra in a movie, said something or other, Bruce got kind of serious, got him to come off the wall where he was sitting making his noises and said, you know, see what you've got, put him in his arse and then put him back up on the wall a few seconds later. So I believe there was a few of these informal challenges that took place and, and Bruce apparently won all of those. So you could, you could say, you know, like boxers where guys think you know, drunken and challenge fights. He was, his reputation, his legend is that he never lost. And I'm thinking that he didn't lose this fight. But it took more out of him than he expected. And therefore, he had to put more work in and change some of his, uh, the way that he taught and uh, trained himself. So, yeah, there you go. That's my opinion. Yep. And uh, speaking of quick, he was only 5'8", 140. This was in 1965 when, you know, the, the stats oh. from that year. He wasn't a big guy, guys. He's not a bodybuilder. He's not like the guys we've talked about on this previous podcast who are like 260 pounds, 300 pounds. He's a little guy, but he could still beat the crap out of 300 pounders. Um, so his view on martial arts was that he didn't think that they worked hard enough to improve their total fitness. They thought that martial artists were specifically trying to get better at martial arts and not building their core and stuff. So what Lee did, he did something very unique at the time for martial artists that were especially small guys like his size. He did weight training. He did that so he can improve his strength, improve his mass. And also he worked on his endurance and flexibility. So he did it all. Um, the training he did was, was incredible. Um, and it got him, you could argue his training, we'll, we'll get into it later. His training actually got him killed because he overtrained so much um, and he, he would get these injuries and not be able to recover with them. But the key with, with Lee, which is what most people feel at mobster is his mental approach to martial arts. He was so mentally strong that yeah. that allowed him. That was the main part. If you're not mentally strong, you're not going to be able to be a great martial artist. And then his nutrition, I'm going to bring you in on this, his nutrition, 
obviously he ate clean. He was ripped to the bone. I mean, I don't know if he had any fat on his body, maybe 4% fat, 3% fat. I mean, his diet was natural foods, fish, veggies, rice, just, just natural stuff. And uh, yeah, what do you, what do you have to say on that? Say for two, two things. It, it, firstly, the, the training side, I, I'm a grip guy. So my reputation such as it is in weightlifting is based on my world-class national standard, international standard grip strength. And so one of the things that's fascinating for me I mean, he did weights, he did isometrics. There are photographs, there are videos of the pictures available for on YouTube. You can see him doing isometrics. That's literally two pieces of wood or, or, or steel tubing with a chain in between. And you, you, you lengthen and shorten the chain. And that, that stuff is incredibly good for short bursts of power, which is perfect for what he was doing. Cardio, when cardio was barely a thing. In fact, really, cardio's heyday such as the word in and of itself is around 1970. So we're talking about, he died in 73 and he was doing cardio before then, conditioning work, circuits, doing circuits, doing very quick 15, 20 minute circuits around that time, cables. There's, there's photographs of machines that he had made and machines that he brought. And I believe actually, and I didn't find this in my research for today's podcast, but I seem to recall a particular machine that was a reproduction of a machine that he'd had that you could buy for sale back when I first started reading a bodybuilder magazine. So that's how popular that was. And grip, as I said, this is my thing, my, my niche, my, my, my specific uh, talent. And there are photographs of him training his grip, I believe with a wrist roller, very simple tool guys. If you get up make this for yourself and you've seen Bruce Lee's forearms. And if you haven't checked them out, look them up, see the movies with flexing the forearm muscles, it's all there. And uh, a wrist, a machine, a, a, a grip machine with plates on it and everything. And I think he actually had one of the photographs I've seen, again, not today, for today's research, was a picture of him training his grip with this machine on his Hong Kong balcony. So he was doing weights when martial arts were doing weights. He was doing conditioning work. He was doing cardio. And I think Steve's actually correct. There was an element with both the injuries the, and, and not allowing himself to recover. And we deal with this sometimes on a forum. My elbows playing me up. Well, have a rest, do rehab, ice it, go and see a fucking doctor. Bruce wasn't doing those things. He was taking painkillers, he was taking cortisone, and he was constantly training, probably to his detriment. And in fact, as we'll get into how he died, we suspect that possibly an element of the overtraining was causing injuries, and the injuries required him to take drugs, to do the movies, to keep the legendary status going. Uh, and that's where we went with that particular yeah. And what's interesting, yeah, what's interesting, Mobster, as a martial artist, I would think training your grip would be so freaking important because you're hitting people with your hand, Yeah, you know? And it's if you've got that power, that's, that's going to be important. So it, it makes sense. Say, yeah, so I, I, one of the, my jobs, briefly, I've done some of the exhibition stuff. Uh, in, in America, the big exhibition would be the Olympia and uh, the Arnold. In the UK, we've got smaller ones. And one specific one, I think I did it twice, was called Senai. And Senai is more specific to general training and the martial arts. So I, I, I did, I worked a stand for a friend of mine and they were doing martial arts exhibitions. Black belt guys were doing displays nearby. So they come over to the stand and we've got grip tools on the stand. And so what happens very quickly is I got one of the guys to lay on one of the mats and I pick him up by the knot in his belt. 
And I said, if I could control you with, with grabbing your wrist or kind of grabbing your shoulder, or literally I can pick you up off. The, he was a normal sized martial arts guy. And I'm obviously a bigger guy, but I was picking him up by the knot on the belt. Here's a black belt. I says, I could control you if I can get a hand on you. I have this power that I can pick you up. So one of my suggestions then, for example, is you take a old uh, martial arts belt, whatever particular part of that sport that you do, and you loop it into a knot loosely, something like that, and you put it through a carabiner onto a weight stack, and you grab a hold of the cloth and you pull it. So you have the power in your fingers. And of course, I was able to demonstrate that power. So the guy, as soon as you start doing that stuff with a black belt, you've got a crowd of people watching. So having that power, having that control, whether it's wrestling, door work, whether you're a correctional officer, whether you're a police officer, having the ability to grab someone and grip them and control them, and especially in martial arts, as Steve said, if you've got them on the ground, if you're trying to, you're trying to pin them, being able to hold them is incredibly important. And, and this is where that was coming into the martial arts. And again, I think Bruce was very aware of not only what he needed to do, but how he appeared. So being lean, being muscular, and Steve knows this, he's seen the same scenes and clips from the movies that I have, and of course the movies themselves. When Bruce would do certain things, it was almost like a bodybuilder. He'd get into a pose and he'd be doing, oh, and holding and tensing his abs down, bringing his hands up in a certain position. And it was all pecs and veins in the neck and abs and serratus and those forearm muscles on display. It, it looked powerful. It looked inspirational. As you said, he was 140 pounds and you still thought, he's going to kick my ass. He can kick anybody's ass. And he looked like he could. The movies, I mean, we, we addressed this in a previous podcast, Sylvester Stallone. He looks in Rambo like he's going to kick your ass. Um, Jean-Claude Van Damme, uh, Dolph Lundgren, they look like they can kick your ass. And Bruce was probably the first one. Prior to that, the shirts were on, the tops were on. They were wearing the, uh, uh, um, G, their outfits. And you wouldn't really see them up. If you might see something, they might be ripped or whatever else. But he was the one, a lot of stuff he ended up stripped to the waist uh, and was incredibly muscular. So I think he was aware of how he looked. But again, that control comes from it. So very lean, muscular forearms and having that gripping ability. So yeah, the, the, and there's something to be learned from that, which we'll get into again a, a, a little bit more in terms of his legend and his mythology. But what, What's interesting, Mobster, is if you remember in Karate Kid, when um, Mr. Miyagi was teaching Daniel son karate, he put his hand out to Daniel son He's like, karate is Japanese, he's originating in Okinawa, and he's teaching him the history. And he said that karate means in Japanese, empty hand. Mm. so that ties that ties right into it so that's that's very interesting so mobster i think you'd be a good martial artist since you got a strong grip i think <laughs> that you could if you got at the martial arts you'd be good at it grab you that's it it's over the actual bit in between maybe not so much yeah you'd have to get them down pretty quick if you yeah, fought someone just, you fought yeah. someone like lee you'd have to get them down pretty easy he would out endurance you i guess huh but, but, so what's interesting though about lee is he wanted to get into acting his dad was an actor his father's has had connections but the problem is most of his father's connections were in asia not united states so even though he played in the green hornet which is a tv series in the united states to to him do martial arts movies which is his dream he had to try his luck in hong kong and his first successful movie and he had a leading role in this was called the big boss in 1971 and then the next year he did one called uh, first the fury 
So Lee piggybacked that. He got his own production company going where he had full control of everything. He could write, he could direct, he could act, he can be in charge of the fight scenes and be the choreographer. So this is this was his dream. He was getting his dream. His third major movie was Way of the Dragon. And in that one, he kicked the crap out of Chuck Norris in the Legend. final scene. And and we'll have a link, we'll have a link to that if you guys uh want to see that. I was going to say, it's, it's Fist of Fury. Uh, the, the, the actual stuff, the thing that helps him on his way, which we'll get to in a few seconds with, with regards to Hollywood, was these movies, much like the Rocky movies, which we discussed in a previous podcast, it weren't meant to be a big deal. It wasn't a great deal of money. I think it was $100,000 was what the uh, Chinese put into the big boss. Uh, and there's an element of going to the theatre and watching it at a theatre and his wife sitting next to him and it's very, very quiet. So they're thinking, oh my God, you know, it's a disaster. And then 10 seconds later, people go crazy. And like the Rocky movies, they wasn't meant to make loads and loads of money. The idea was, oh, it's a one-hit wonder. Bang, it was not. They double up, I think it was $250,000 put in the Fist of Fury. And again, I think it was uh, something like uh, $400,000 for Way of the Dragon. That's just before the 600000 that was... Uh, spent in his uh, American debut. So it, the reason why is because they started to get Chinese audiences. And when these movies came to the States and Hollywood started to pay attention, there was a lot of uh, uh, people from uh, the minorities who were going to watch these movies. So if you felt hard done by, as, even as a white guy, if you were poor and, and you wanted to kick ass, or if you was a black guy and you felt that you was hard done by a Chinese, isolated in some way, that section of the community made these movies incredibly popular. So the critique, the critics, what they thought of the movies was poor, but they were kicking ass. They were, the people were going to watch this stuff and they were bringing their buddies to come and watch these movies. And so you, you, it's only for us now, looking back on those movies, we see how epic they are. But at the time, it was incredibly hard for him to break into Hollywood. So he goes to Hong Kong, makes these movies, and then they start to come to America, the cinemas, movie theaters started to show these imports uh, and, 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 and Hollywood started to pay attention that way because thousands of people were going to watch this and they were taking their friends to come, you've got to come and see this movie. I saw this movie the other day. And so it's kind of like, a, what do we call it now when it happens, something, you're on the internet watching something and then suddenly we've all seen it. This is how these happen with, with these movies. Uh, so they become now the kind of almost classics. Uh, a little bit sometimes poorly scripted, sometimes poorly dubbed, but the martial arts action is outstanding. And if again, as Steve said right at the beginning, if you're of an age where you don't know much about Bruce and you haven't seen any movies, do yourself a favor. Even if you turn the fucking sound down, just watch the fight scenes. The stories, the scripts, they're kind of they're kind of piss poor. But the fighting outstanding epic stuff and this is done by the guys that you see on the screen this is not blue screen this is not green screen it's not cgi it's real the only thing they're not doing is full contact they're not smashing the fuck out of each other because you wouldn't be able to do another setup if you needed to yeah back to you steve yeah and then the one movie i can recommend was the one that he got um and he died six days before its release. It's called Enter the Dragon. And that one was actually critically acclaimed. It's actually a good movie. It was actually well acted, well directed, well written. 
Um, and it grossed over $200 million in, in the United States, which adds, you know, which is a, a credible amount of money. And that's the one I recommend everyone to, to watch. If you're interested in what we're saying about Bruce Lee, watch that movie. You could probably find it like on, on, on net, like HBO max or Netflix or one of those places. They, they probably have it, but it's actually a good movie. And I'm, I'm a big movie buff and I can't stand crappy movies. And I watched it and it was good. It was funny. It was entertaining. It was very, very good. It's $600,000 to make and $200 million. That's an investment. I mean, what a return. Uh, but with the Hollywood values, no martial arts movie, no matter how popular that come out of Hong Kong, China, or Japan, wherever else, I'd put that kind of money into movie. It took Hollywood to put that kind of money, uh, money into movie. And it, it, honestly, it's kind of out of sequence because it's like, you know, he, made, he was in a bunch of very small movies in Hong Kong when he was young, nothing to do with martial arts. He was, you know, dancing as photographs of him dancing as a champion. None of that had the money. And even the $250,000 in, in his... Uh, uh, Way of the Dragon was, was a big amount of money for the Chinese market, but the $600,000 with the $200 million return, that was the most amount of money that had been spent and the, and the production values, the scenery, the sets, the script, all of that stuff, high end uh, for, even the, the, even the amount of money, I don't think that we'd be doing too many, two or $3 million movies at that time. So you're right up there in terms of your, the, the Hollywood's uh, money and production values, et cetera, that's gone into it. And it is, is that it's actually, I believe both Bruce Lee and that particular movie, I think he was, he was listed as one of the 100 most influential people around that time. And I think he's still in like top three, 400. Uh, he's up there in terms of his iconography as, as, as say Muhammad Ali, but obviously from the martial arts side. And, and the movie is there. It's, it's gonna be, if it's not in China, it'd be in the States as the movie for martial arts, especially of its time. And even though it's out of, kind of out of sequence in terms of his movies, you should watch it first because of everything that's gone into it and the story and, and the way that it's done and all the rest of it. It's, it's, it's a proper martial arts movie, but in the style of what we would call an action movie now. And if you watch it, you'll see the inspiration and the kind of stories and, and whatever for a bunch of movies that have come out since. It's one of those ones where you go, oh, that's the reason why they do this. That's the reason why they do that. That's the reason why the guys get lean and get muscular. That's the reason why they kind of flex, et cetera, on the screen. And he was doing this daily. He didn't have a special coach or whatever else, like a lot of the movie stars now. And it, an, an, an enormous amount was done uh, without body doubles. So this is the real guy, real, really fighting, really on screen. And he was, he was quite the inspiration. In fact, Steve, Steve and I know this from, from our research for a bunch of uh, Hollywood actors, including amongst other people, Steve McQueen and, and, and uh, James Coburn, who he taught, uh, James specifically was uh, a pupil of his. So these were Hollywood movie stars. Not only did they want to fight and learn to really fight, but they obviously wanted to look that good on screen when it was important. No, no body doubles, no stuntmen. These, these are the real deal. Uh, and some of the stuff that even in the modern uh, martial arts movies with uh, Jet Li and others, they are doing their own stuff because no one else can do what they can do. And Bruce, I mean, the speed. You, you, some of the stuff you can't, it can't, can't be done, has to be done by the real person, can't be mimicked and whatever else. So it's, it's that, and it's an icon of, in and of itself, just as a movie in and of itself. We're all gonna have a top 10, top 100. This should be on the top 100 list, and it should be a number one if it's a, if it's a martial arts movie, but you just stayed. 
So let's get into his death. Uh, we got to talk about his death. I'm sorry. I mean, if it upsets a lot of people, but yeah, I mean, his death rocked the martial oh. arts community, rocked the world. Um, it was a big, big deal. Mm. And but we have to talk about it, guys, because we have to learn from his mistakes so we don't repeat them. And you know what? A lot of people have learned from his mistakes. But the story behind Lee is there was. Uh, red flags because two months before he was doing a movie uh, a, a movie production post movie production okay and he collapsed and he had to get taken to the hospital for a seizure and headache and doctors noticed he had brain swelling and they were able to reduce it so he was released um that should have been the red flag right there hey something is wrong but lee he's you know, he's a stubborn guy. He's a, he, you know, he's a stubborn guy. He's, he's like most of us type A yeah. personality. He's not going to stop. Okay. At this point, he's not going to stop on July 20th, 1973. He was in Hong Kong visiting friends. He started getting a headache again. His friend gave him an aspirin mixture medication to help dull his headache after laying down for his nap. His friend came to check on him and he wasn't moving. So they rushed him to the hospital, dead on arrival, 32 years old, on the heels of a $200 million box office hit Fresh. worldwide. Okay. 32 years old, dead. So the official reason that the autopsy death showed was his brain was swollen once again due to an allergic reaction to the medication that he took so gosh you know um not not good i was going to touch in on this the, the, the what happened and, and steve i think knows this from his own research so when he died the rumors that went around the world i think he actually got into the papers and although it wouldn't have been necessarily on on, on the evening news or whatever else uh, the, the magazines I was reading at the time, some of the men's magazines, uh, I think I, I read a few of the martial arts magazines before I really got into the bodybuilding and weightlifting stuff. So the whole legend, it was almost like a, something out of Treasure Island with a black spot. They'd been cursed, uh, that they didn't want all the secrets revealed. And so if someone had done a revenge thing, been poisoned. Uh, and in reality, he probably kind of overtrained himself to death. That's how bad this stuff had got. And here's a lesson for you guys. And this is specific where, because we're thinking he had a bunch of injuries. We know he had a back injury. So we know that he was taking cortisone. There's suggestions of other drugs that he was taking. And I mean, he was even a silly story about he died from ingesting cannabis. That's just ridiculous. I mean, how much was he supposed to have taken? But he was certainly doing stuff for injuries. And so the lesson here, number one, guys, is you, could, you're, you can't let your body be beat up so much, whether that's in these, these pseudo fights for the movies, whether that's constantly, constantly training, and specifically, you know, I addressed this with Steve uh, off air on the forums, and we're all guilty of this. Steve just said so. We do stupid shit like we get a tweak in our elbow from doing triceps or benching or pressing, and then we come onto the forum and we'll say something like, "Oh, my elbow's really playing me up, guys. What drugs can I take?" <laughs> and of course, we go, "Rest your damn arm." Stop doing the stupid shit you're doing. So if there's one tricep exercise, change it for another one. If it's really bad, if the tendon's getting damaged, go and see a damn doctor, get that damn thing repaired. And what Bruce was doing 
was he was ignoring that. He, he was, don't, I've got to do the movie, I've got to do this. He was scared as hell for, for the, 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 the movie itself. He didn't come on the set for the first couple of weeks. He did a bunch of stuff because he was as scared as hell as how big this movie was going to be. And then when he came on, three days in, he calms down. But he probably wanted to make this movie epic, which of course it is. But but at the same token, he's training constantly. He's doing all this cardio and stuff that you mentioned on him. He'd never give his body a break. He's, he's doing the martial arts stuff constantly. He's hitting these practice dummies and whatever else. And builds up his injuries he got a, a, the back injuries i believe from weight training so he's doing his stuff again and pounding 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 to the point we has to take if it takes some rest which he did not or take some medication to fight the pain and so he's not addressing his injuries he's not giving himself ice and rehab and recuperation he's not going to see a doctor about these things and then eventually the medication that he took just to deal with this stuff is what pretty much everybody agrees killed him so yeah, how do you say the the rumor among his martial art actor buddies was that he was taking muscle relaxers for years. He was taking antibiotics as well. Every time he get a little sickness, he take antibiotics. Every time his muscle he tweaks something, you take muscle relaxers. These are harsh muscle relaxing drugs. Now at that time, people view these drugs as good things you know hey let's just take a drug let's just they didn't realize the side effects like we do today like i hope most people realize today now the other recent theory that a doctor who studied his death came up with was what well, well, mobster alluded to the cortisone now what is cortisone cortisone are catabolic steroids and catabolic steroids basically you take them they dull the pain they tell your brain that you're not in pain. They reduce the inflammation. They tell your brain to reduce the inflammation, but they're not fixing the injury. They're not fixing. This is why I tell guys on forums, stay the fuck away from these cortisone catabolic steroids. They are not good. Literally, you can take them with, when you have an injury, then feel fine the next day, like nothing happened. And then you'll be back into the gym causing more damage that you don't know is causing damage because you're, it's like going to a dentist and getting a lidocaine, numbing your mouth, and then going and doing a boxing fight. You're going to knock out all your teeth because you can't feel anything. Well, that's the same thing here. So be careful messing around with these muscle relaxers, these drugs, these anti-inflammatories. They are bad news. The quick one. So on the anti-inflammatories, uh, the, the number one probably in the whole world is ibuprofen. And yet, Steve, so you, this one rips your fucking stomach up. So anytime you're taking this, it should be for a very short period of time, always with food. Now, if you're taking an anti-inflammatory constantly, you're not addressing the issue. With regards to cortisone, and I've done uh, research for people with particular injuries, and they go, oh, the doctors recommend a cortisone injection. So very quickly, uh, American uh, football players for years, damaged knees, damaged hips, taking a cortisone injection, the absolute maximum recommended the last time I looked, you can do your up-to-date research, guys, so you should always check out what I'm telling you, was three injections per year. As a professional athlete, if you're having more than that, just to be able to play, just to be able to fulfill your contract, at some point, you're going to have problems. So what happens is that you, not only are you not addressing the issues, you're degrading the joint anyway, cortisone itself actually degrades the joint. It, you should only have it a certain amount of time to allow it to be absorbed into the body, to uh, allow the injury to recover. But if you get four injections or five injections a year, 
the injection itself is causing issues, which is why that you end up with these pro ball players, thank, thankfully with the money to be able to do something about it, getting the knees replaced, getting the hips replaced. So yeah, that's what's happened. And again, it's, it's one of those, keep doing it for your career because you've got 30 million dollars a year to pay for an operation. But most of our listeners don't have 30 million dollars a year. So don't take these things non-stop, address the issue. Don't think, well, I get up in the morning, I take these jab tablets just to get to the gym. We know that you love training. We love training. But you can't keep doing these stupid things. And here's what's happened. This guy's died probably because of the stuff that he's taken to deal with his injuries, to deal with the issues that's come from training, from, from fighting. So that's what we've been, brain swelling, guys, back, a, a non-stop back injury, uh, the, the medication itself tearing down his muscle tissue, tearing down his joints tearing down his connective tissue strength. That's the lesson, guys. Treat the injury, but don't treat it with more pain medication. Don't treat it by throwing cortisone. Okay? You go to a doctor and you say, oh, my knee's aching, and he says, blah, 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 cortisone injection. Great. But don't go back to that guy and get another one and another one and another one. Go away and think about what you're doing. Do you need to wear a, a, a knee support? Do you, need to try, do you need to start doing knee strengthening exercises if your sport isn't weightlifting? Think about how that works. This guy died because of the medication he was on to allow him to be an athlete. That's how silly that is. That's how crazy that is. And he was probably, and I'm going to take a little bit of a wild guess here, taking too much for, as we've already said, five foot seven and around 140 pounds. So he's probably taking the sort of levels that I might need at my size and my weight for his size and his weight because of the pressure, because of the legend, because of what he wanted to achieve and how he wanted to come across. So, yeah, there's a mentality there, and we understood it. We touched on it earlier on. The drive to be the best, the drive to kick ass, the, the drive to, to take the trophy, to be the winner, to be a movie star and whatever else is incredibly powerful, and we want you to have that. But we also want you to get a little bit like, right, if I've got an injury, my long-term career in Bruce's as an actor is actually going to be negated if I don't treat the injury, if I don't, if, you know, if I take this medication, I'm shortening my career. If I take this medication, I'm damaging myself. And therefore, my career is going to be incredibly short. And then Bruce is, sadly, he ends up passing away, as Steve said earlier on, when the movie, the martial arts movie, probably the martial arts movie, if, if you did a comparison with today's numbers in terms of what the dollar cost then and the dollar now, is probably the number one movie of all time. And it literally is going to be the absolute peak of his career. And he dies six weeks before the movie comes out. So there's a kind of sadness to that. This guy is an epic, an icon, and a legend. And he dies because he wasn't treating his injuries and because he was using medication to treat his injuries that perhaps he was using too much of, nonstop, with no break, in order to make it. So there's your lesson, guys. That's what you've got to learn. So, yeah, there you go. That's what I want to talk about, if you don't mind, Steve, the, the whole mythology of Bruce. Have you seen the black and white nunchuck video where he appears to be playing table tennis with the nunchucks. Yeah, I believe so. I believe when I, um, a couple that, of years that, ago when I was researching it, yep, I saw that. That's, yep. that's actually fake and was done by a Chinese uh, uh, graphics company. But it, it, was, it was one of those things where you go, this is how epic he became that we kind of believed that he would play table tennis with nunchucks and it's, it's a double, um, a CG, the, the, the ball coming off the nunchucks and whatever else. But he'd become, a, Steve mentioned the philosophy earlier on, 
and the mentality. And, and I, I said that the, 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 for me, the legend is that Bruce Lee was, is, it was uh, five seven and one forty. He was a giant in terms of how his impact. Now we are weightlifters, bodybuilders, and yet we know who Bruce Lee is, and we can use him as an inspiration. We can understand this idea that you know, for example, it's kind of mythological when you talk about when you get above the get to first dan, you, yes, your understanding of the sport is complete. But second, third, and fourth dan, it's your your understanding of yourself and the understanding of the, the sports history and the mythology, the legend. Like I said earlier, I'm going to Japan, going to China, learning how to be a samurai. You know, getting a getting a Japanese sword made. Don't buy a, a replica and all this kind of stuff. So it becomes mythological. It's like historical kind of stuff where you know you're not just you're not just doing a sport, but you're interested in history. You're, you're, you're sitting down, and as much as made from the medication, sorry, meditation, is as from from the training. So there's this thing again where, in terms of the the mythology and the idea behind martial arts, comes into your weight training, comes into your bodybuilding, which is, and I would argue this as a person who's wanted to win certain competitions. It has to come from my inner desire, my need to win. That's not just me turning up at the gym and hoping. That's me going to the gym and being crazy hungry and wanting to kick ass, wanting to make sure that I'm the hardest training motherfucker out there in the sport that I've chosen for myself so that when the day comes to win, when the day comes to compete, no motherfucker's going to beat me. And so the, the, the mythology that comes from martial arts is much the same, that you want to be the most spiritual person you want to have the greatest understanding you want to be the most peaceful motherfucker on the planet unless someone puts their hands on you and then when they put their hands on you you put them on their ass three seconds flat and walk the fuck away and there, that's where the mythology and the, and the psychology comes from comes from martial arts and that's kind of what we're looking for if we're a weightlifter or a powerlifter we want to go crazy 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 strong adrenal rush hulking out kind of stuff Lou Rigno kind of stuff Bang, the weight goes up and we walk the fuck away. Big smile on our face. Martial arts stuff all over again. You know, nice peaceful guy, weighs 140 pounds, walks up and breaks bricks, breaks cement, breaks ice blocks, breaks pieces of wood, uh, throws three guys on the ground. There's a 10 second fight and six guys are laying on their ass with their noses bleeding. That's a, it's a kind of mythological, but it's that super explosive, crazy understanding of yourself that's coming from these kind of things. Uh, and that's where we take from the martial arts. And as I said, the, leg the, the lesson from treating your injuries, uh, not overdoing the pain meds, not overdoing the cortisone, uh, getting rehab, taking medical advice when it's appropriate, and, and if need be, going off and see more than one or two people. So there's lots of lessons there, and that's what kind of like we take from Bruce. Uh, there's a lesson to be learned, but he is inspirational, is motivational. He was an ass kicker with a physique that many a bodybuilder now, if it's sub 5%. Vascular, knew how he looked on screen. If you could Google some of it, just do the Google images, guys, for how he looks. Looks like a lightweight bodybuilder who could kick your ass and, and not thinking you give about him, go shopping straight after and not be unhappy. But you'd be on your back thinking that was a real bad idea. What the fuck was I thinking? And he's holding his wife's hand, he barely broke a sweat or whatever. Yeah, about you, Steve. So let's talk about, we're going to end this show talking about, you know, martial arts, how it's changed over time. But first, we got to talk about a steroid cycle, as, as we do. So, again, don't follow us at home um, unless you're crazy and you want to, you know, rip your body to shreds. But obviously, you know, um, Primo would have been something he, he, he would have used in those days. It was uh, big time 
in the early 70s Winstrol was around started getting around in the 60s he probably messed around with with Winstrol dried him out the cortisone shots the catabolic steroids daily cortisone shots hey my elbow hurts boop my wrist hurts boop I mean it's he probably abused the shit out of it again at that time you know did they know that these cortisone injections were this bad for you. I don't think they did the way even people today don't even know doctors. They, they always, uh, if doctors, you know, you go to a doctor for an injury, he's going to suggest, Hey, cortisone shot. That's what they do. They make in the United States. I mean, I got one, I got one myself. Um, I had to pay $2,000 for one. So if you get three of them a year, that's six grand that the doctor's making off of you. Of course, he's going to want you to take a cortisone shot. And then muscle, muscle relaxers, um, you know, what we, you know, you can go um, anywhere over the counter and buy aspirin off, right off the shelf, ibuprofen, aspirin, um, all the uh, Advil, you can buy them off the shelf. You put them in your stomach, they destroy your stomach, like Mobster said. You destroy your gut health, you destroy your joints, you're taking Winstrol, which dries your joints even more. You can see why it's this, this, this effect um, that he went through, but he strived to be the best. So he did what he had to do to, to be the best. And I'm curious to, to know the other martial artists at that time, they probably didn't push as hard as he did. Um, his training is legendary. His training is so legendary that, you know, he would, um, he fainted on the set. Um, it was kind of like the one we did on Sylvester Stallone. Sylvester Stallone, he got so ripped and so shredded. He was on so many stimulants. He was on so much stuff that he fainted. I mean, he did what he needed to do to look a certain way for the movie. Um, and, as a movie star, we see movie stars now. They'll do uh, all kinds of weird things. They'll do tons of steroids. They'll take tons of HGH. They'll cut themselves down. They'll starve themselves, not even fasting, but starving themselves for a movie role. Or they'll gain a lot of weight for a movie role because they're playing someone who's who's overweight or something. So listen, you know, it, that's movies. That's the movies for you. Um, and it was him in the movies doing the stunts. That's the thing. It was him doing the stunts. It wasn't someone else. So in a movie, if you break something, you injure yourself, you know, do you just stop the movie? Be like, oh, we're shutting that movie down where you're paying for all these actors to show up that day. You're paying for a production. You're renting this space to, to, to film the movie. You can't just shut it down. You have to keep going and that's what, what what he had to do i'm going to say in terms of the stuff that the modern guys are doing and the sophisticated lines of good reference i believe it was 60 to 90 days and he essentially said that what he did for that period of time for the movie would be incredibly unhealthy in the long term i think bruce's mistake that his stuff was long term whereas uh, sylvester stallone and a few of the others is short term so it is four o'clock in the morning workouts and it is crazy dieting shrinking himself down so there's you know looking skeletal or whatever else but for you know this is for a few weeks six weeks seven weeks eight weeks do not do this kind of stuff long term you can get away with it for very small periods of time because the body's quite resilient but you can't get away with it all the time that's 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 the aspect what i was going to think of in terms and i made a note here before before we started in terms of what would he do now i think yeah I, my 
we, we talk to uh, martial artists, MMA guys especially, and to some professional fighters from time to time on the forums. And I, my number one is I've literally just written down Psalms. I put down Psalms and then underneath I put GW and, and Cardery. I mean, these seem perfect to me in terms of he's not going to add too much muscle. In fact, he didn't want to, not, not, not as a, a large martial artist and a fighter. So he didn't want to add tons and tons of muscle. And of course, we know that some of the Psalms will help you slowly over time, a few pounds here and a few pounds there. But for him, the, the, the Cardarine with its ability for, for energy, to give him this, the, the speed and fight to, to have as a fighter would be perfect. GW and Psalms just generally for his health. So keeping his blood lipids with it, you know, better than steroids. Not perfect. We know they're not perfect, but better than steroids. So he's not going to add 10, 15, 20 pounds. He doesn't need to. He doesn't want to. He wants that energy. He wants that speed. He wants to be incredibly. And in fact, one of the descriptions specifically that's mentioned on the foodie videos that is by way of research for, for the podcast was that, that a lot of guys said that pound for pound, he may well have been one of the strongest guys that, that they knew. The 140 pounds, 136, 140 pounds. It was incredibly powerful, incredibly strong. But of course, we're talking about that speed. So it's function here over masses of muscle. He could have probably weighed 180. If he'd have gone on a, on, a, on a bigger steroid cycle, even the prima bowling that Steve mentioned just now, the guess is around 300 milligrams a week and, and, and 25 milligrams a day of wind stroll. This is nothing, but it would have kept him dried up. We see it, it would have kept him functional. As I said, in the, month, the number one problem in my mind in terms of his drug use was too long term, keeping his body fat that low for a long time, not allowing the recovery and staying on, especially the, the, the meds way longer than he should have done. So short periods of time, like Sylvester, 60, 60, I think he said the reason he passed out, he was taking something stupid like 600 milligrams a day of caffeine. And he was doing all this kind of fat burning stuff to get into this crazy, crazy shape. And he passes out because it is unhealthy. Uh, when I when I trained for competitions, one of the things in my mind, as I suggested just now, was this idea that I was training the hardest, but I was dragging my ass around in the last 10 days. Old man stuff, I think I would take time off of work around that time because it's not healthy the plan for me has worked at the time was to recover in you know, those four or five days with zero training of what's called super compensation and come back but these guys are on the set for weeks and multi-million dollar movies and so they need to be in shape you can't look bad on the screen there's only so much that cgi could do and it's multi-millions of dollars your own contract 25 million dollars the movie is a two three hundred dollar million dollar movie you need to be in shape you need to kick ass but it's not healthy pro bodybuilders do not stay in olympia level shape all year round and even uh, over here in rugby and in american football your peak isn't all year long you're not as fast all year long you're not as quick in your you know your responses to a play you're not going to be at the most powerful all year long it's impossible and Bruce's kind of thing, I think, was maybe that he was trying to be like that all the damn time with the pain issues, with the injuries. And so, yeah, for me, we'd have him rehab. We'd have him have him time off. We'd have him training his, changing his training. And we would probably have him on Psalms. I think Psalms. Steve, what about you? In terms of what he would do now? Yeah, I think the, the now... <laughs> See, the thing is that martial arts has changed a lot. Now it's all UFC and you're in a cage, you're beating the shit out of each other. So now I think they, 
they probably do a lot of the same stuff, man. Um, and then now they might take more like no ester. Let's say they'll take no ester testosterone, no ester trend even just to get that aggression. They're taking stuff like halo. They're taking stuff. You don't want to mess around with the trend too much because it's going to destroy your endurance. But if they want some aggression. They'll take that. Maybe some check drops you know, stuff like that. So they're, they're trying to get more aggressive for sure. And I think if they're able to legally uh, without getting um, busted for it, which, um, you know, they don't really test them stringently, but obviously they're going to be taking stuff. I was going to say short cycles here, guys, if you're going to do this kind of thing, short cycles, especially with halo and check drops, two, three, four, five, six weeks, uh, you should only be doing anything like that longer than that if you've got another fight straight away. And this is one of the few advantages we've seen in boxing. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuming from any of the cage fights, the MMA, is that you're not fighting every month. So even though it kind of builds up that way with tournaments or whatever else, they've got a big enough stable that they can bring in different guys. So you, you, you peak, you do crazy stuff, but for very short periods of time. You're away fighting, practicing, and getting all that stuff, getting ring ready. But it's the 12, 16 which you do the crazy stuff for four weeks. The really, really crazy stuff for two weeks. It's that they're bringing you to a peak of fighting uh, uh, performance. But it's for short periods of time. And then you're not fighting for another three months. You're not fighting for another four months. You're fighting the really high-level stuff five, six times a year as an absolute maximum. Ideally, when you get to the very top of the tree, it's one or two fights a year. They're big dollar fights. And, and if you do anything else, it's exhibition or it's low level. And so you don't mean you're doing the crazy stuff for someone who's a bit further down than you and bringing out, you know, wait till the big guy comes out, wait till the $30 million fight comes out and then do that kind of stuff. And I'll give you, and again, myself as an example, as an, as an athlete has competed, I could never do, as some people do, a competition every month. And some of my buddies have done that. My absolute maximum one year was four. And I was dragging. I think it was 2010. I did four competitions and I was dragging. Peak for me was two competitions a year. And I'm in a niche sport. So my peak of strength, my peak of power, whatever else. These guys are fighting and, and someone's going to smack you in the face or try and pull your arms out of your sockets. So you're doing this crazy, crazy stuff with the PEDs, but for very short periods of time. All right, guys. Listen, there's so much on Bruce Lee, guys. I wish I wish we had more time. Maybe we'll do a part two at some point. We have a lot of other guys to get to, so keep an eye on the future podcast. For Steve Smee and Mobster, this has been episode 111, Bruce Lee. Check out some of those links we sent. We, uh, we, we're going to include and check out some of his movies, guys. It's really, really good stuff. Have a good one. Take yeah. care.